S.T. Patrick doesn't really need an introduction, but uh, we're going to do it anyway. Uh, he is a, a, a multimedia renaissance man, uh, publisher and editor of Sports Sim Magazine, uh, designer of The Squared Circle, a, a wonderful tabletop wrestling game. And he's even uh, in radio, STP radio, which uh, evokes some of the memories of classic radio of the 60s to the 90s. Um, even I kind of evokes uh, Richard Petty, uh, STP, you know, that number 43. So throwing all that out there, ST, welcome. Thank you so much. Hey, thank you so much for having me on. And before we even get started, I, I want to say thank you for your great uh, story that you did for the last issue of the magazine as well. Um, it was a great cover story, and we were happy to have you doing it because I think APA is an area that we need to get in into more. Um, and so I think your story was really the start of what I hope is a long relationship with some really good APA writers. Ah, for sure. For sure. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity there. And um, yes, uh, all you APA folk, I mean, we've got uh, a ton of great experts. And, and of course, because the game has such a legacy and a long history, there are folks who have decades of knowledge about the game. So uh, while we put out personal feelers, uh, feel free to reach out to ST and we'll give you all his contact information here in the description. Uh, your latest issue, speaking of that issue, and Sports Sim Magazine, let's first say, is available on demand at lulu.com, either as a PDF or as a hard copy. Uh, let's talk about the magazine, I guess, just generally first. When sure. did the vision of the magazine come to you, and when did you finally get it off the ground? Well, it started after we began our history magazine, and um, it was doing okay. Uh, it still does okay. But um, the idea was we had a few off months there in our cycle. And so what I wanted to do was sort of fill that time and sort of work on publishing something else. And, you know, I was always told uh, to try to turn your hobbies into a job, <laughs> if at all possible. <laughs> and um, so we really saw the opportunity for um, a really good home. I guess I'll call it a home. Uh, a really good home for sports gaming content. And every time I tell anyone that I'm doing a sports gaming magazine, they're they're always like, oh, Madden and EA. I'm like, uh, no, more like Appa, Stratomatic. And, and they're like, yeah, I've never heard of that. <laughs> but um, the funny thing is, as you all know, there's a pretty large audience out there. And uh, I know there are some places online where you can sort of gather. And a lot of them are very game-specific and um, I don't mean this in a bad way, but a lot of them are also very replay oriented in a sense that they are a group of people posting a lot of results in their games. And I think that's a, a good thing to be excited about your results. But what we were really thinking more so was why don't we have a place where the companies can sort of meet the gamers and the gamers can meet the companies and have one place that sort of operates without any bias whatsoever towards any company or any game. Now, with that said, 
someone who's reading through the magazine might be able to tell a bias by what companies we write about most and what games we write about most or even what sports we write about most. I would argue that that is absolutely not the case. For anyone out there saying, well, why don't you do more soccer stories? Well, why don't you do more APA stories? Why don't you do more replay stories? Why don't you do more um, DK sports? Uh, the, the actual reason is we just haven't found the writers. Uh, who will produce that content. And until we find writers who will produce that content, it makes it very hard. Now, it also helps us when the game companies themselves uh, are very open to us and help us as much as we can as well to use their content, to find that content, to be able to write about that content. That's uh extremely helpful when the companies are a little more open. Um, and some of them have been, let's just say, more open than others. And But really, the answer to almost every question I get of, of why haven't you dot, 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 is we, we just don't have the writers yet. Um, so yes, absolutely. If more writers would like to volunteer to produce that content, uh, we'd be more than happy to have that. And if more game companies would like to help us uh, in this effort as well, it's a really good way to advertise. And I'm very loyal to anyone who's helped us with the magazine. I will put advertisements in, in the magazine for free because it's not really, uh, we don't really do it to profit um, whatever we make goes back into producing the magazine and we don't make much. And so I don't mind putting advertisements in for new games, especially from independent game makers and from, from the companies as well. And then I'll run those ads four or five issues at least, even if they aren't doing articles. So I, I really uh, think it's a place where we can all gather. It's a place where we can find out about games, where we can read longer articles than you'd be able to read online that go into a little bit more detail, but also have, have gamers writing about their interactions with the games and their experience with the games as well. Now, we try to be very positive. We are not a magazine that's, that's ever going to go in bashing a game. Uh, that's just not going to be our style. And it's not the attitude that, that I think the community needs. And so what we do is we try to go in and say, well, here's what it does. And here's what it doesn't necessarily do. We don't say, here's, here's what it's terrible at. Uh, we just say it does this, but maybe Strat does this a little better. Maybe Apple does this a little better um, or a little more detailed. So uh, we try to go in with a positive attitude and it's really, as I said, um, uh, imagine it as a conference in a magazine. It's where gamers can sort of find the creators and they can find the gamers and we can all find out about these games that we love so much. And that's what really I hope the magazine is. Gee, folks, I don't think you need much more of an invitation than that. Start pitching some articles here. You know, it's uh, you're the yeah. experts, and uh, and and ST is offering you a fantastic forum. 
And I must say, I mean, it's a really well, well put together magazine. Uh, uh, this last issue is uh, 136 pages, hardcover. And, and you touched on so many great points. We could be here for hours. We might have to <laughs> schedule multiple parts here. Um, sure. You know, issue eight here, March 2022, opens with uh, your your take on the current state of the board game industry of sports sim gaming and the headline, the opinion piece is, is this the golden age of sports sim gaming? Uh, and I'm glad you, you, you touched on so many great points here. Um, is this first of all, the golden age of sports sim gaming in your view? Oh, what a good question. Um, uh, well, it, you know, it really depends on the, parameters that you surround that answer with in in a sense that uh are there more games than we've probably ever had i would say yes is it easier to access those games i would probably again say yes um you know the pdf file alone has been an amazing innovation for this hobby and uh the fact that you can instantly buy and then instantly receive has been an amazing phenomenon as well. But I think the article, um, the way I started the article talking about 1984 and to me, 1984 is a peak point for pop rock. And I remember so many things about 1984, uh, Reagan beat Mondale. Walter Mondale got a total of three electoral votes in that election. Uh, Hulk Hogan in January beat the Iron Sheik. Uh, the Cubs were finally good after all those years. Um, we were about to have the games in Los Angeles. Um, so, so many great television shows that, that I recall from my childhood were on in 1984. I think the Cosby show started in 1984. So 84 was such a great peak period uh, for pop rock culture for me. Uh, and so if, if you ask me, what is the glory days? What is the golden age of pop? I'm going to say the mid eighties between 83 and 86. I'm talking about uh, Toto and journey and Ario Speedwagon and everything that is either now called classic rock or yacht rock. <laughs> so that's what I loved. Now, if you ask my mom what was the golden years, she would think it's ridiculous that it's 1984 because she grew up with JFK and the Beatles and the Stones and Marlon Brando and um, just a, such an interesting culture as well. My mom graduated high school, by the way, in 1964. So uh, her golden years pop culture uh, and my golden years of pop culture are not the same. And I think in the gaming world, we sort of see that era of innocence when we had time to play the most, when we had time to care the most. Uh, for a lot of us, that was our childhood. Or when we first discovered the hobby, that's our, our golden age. So it's very personal. But it's hard to argue with the fact that we can instantly buy games right now from so many good companies, so many good creators. And we, we can almost buy a game now for every sport that, you know, exists. I mean, 
with with the Roberto Schiavini games. I mean, literally almost every sport that exists, um, he covers in some way, shape, or form. So the options now are unreal. I think the concern of everyone is how long is it going to last? And... Oh, that's a good question. Um, do, do we bring in the youth and try to get them to enjoy the games as we know them? Or do we start tailoring those games towards the youth and what they like at the expense of the older fan who's really going to spend the money to buy the games? Well, that's not an answer that I have. And sports gaming is not the only industry dealing with that. Every church I go into is dealing with the same question. Every school I go into is dealing with the same question. Um, You know, the writing industry, the publishing industry, the bookstores, the music stores, every industry is dealing with the same thing that we are in sports gaming right now. So yes, I'm actually, I do think it's the golden age because of the amount of content and how we can instantly access that content and the quality. I, I don't want to bash the older games. That's not what I'm here to do. But I can say that I've played some older games that are no longer around. Some of the SI Avalon Hill games, especially. And you can pretty quickly find out how to beat the mechanics. And uh, you can pretty quickly figure out... Um, what needs to be done to really max out your cards or max out the team. Um, and some of the newer games, it's, it's really tougher to do that. It, it's really harder to sort of manipulate the spirit of the game. And so the games that are being produced now are just uh, out of this world. And it's a good time to be in, in the hobby. It really is. Man, again, very well said. So many great points there. And I think I messaged you once uh, regarding your uh, your uh, STP radio that I'm right there on the yacht with you, brother. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, I, uh, that, and, uh, you know, and again, it really is. We, we do kind of occupy. We are of a generation that you, you mentioned having the time to play those games. You know, we really are among that last generation that will have that pre-digital experience and that really you know purely tactile pre-computer experience uh, and that connection that intimacy with the board games which is why you know and you're talking about other industries print certainly i'm a print guy um by career sorry so and and your magazine i mean you you talk about um a lot of things about uh uh well print as i always say is premium it's not dead and I'm, i'm thankful that you're putting this magazine available making available in in hard copy um you know the idea that uh that time and place your nostalgia point and i hate you know i don't view the word nostalgia as negative it seems to be used so pejoratively so often but i mean it really is you know we we do stand on the shoulders of giants these these older games you know they they did the best they could with what they had and certainly the Mm -hmm. refinements have come there uh, correct based based on those um early forays and certainly as you said there are so many games i mean you can i was thinking what what is the weirdest game you know a game about changing light bulbs you know or reconstituting <laughs> orange juice could be anything at this point right, uh, right. it's amazing so mm-hmm. um where i've got so many notes we could be here for days um 
No, it's an interesting topic. Um, You know, the thing about it is, so we have all these games and I, I don't think I'm the only one that has more games than I could possibly play. Um, But I like it. I like it on the shelf. And my wife is so supportive. It's just incredible. She's fantastic. Um, And, but one of the things is, you know, I, I don't have a car hobby. I don't have a boat hobby. I don't go on expensive golfing trips. I don't gamble. I mean, I buy a few sports games, <laughs> so <laughs> I think we're okay there. Um, and th- one of the things I love about the hobby is compared to other hobbies, relative to other hobbies, it's very affordable. And you get a lot of bang for the buck in this hobby, which uh, is a great thing as well. For sure, for sure. And by the way, congratulations. I'm glad you mentioned your wife. I was going to uh, ask about that. You've been married about a year now. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. Um, about a year. Yeah, no, she's, she's. I mean, I, I couldn't say enough nicely. She she handles most of, most of our Facebooking stuff. I got off of Facebook a couple of years ago when it just got so negative and everybody was just so hate-filled and my spirit just can't do that. I just, um, I, I can't take it on a daily basis and, but she's really sweet. And so she handles all the, all the stuff online for us. But, you know, I I always say, you know, the email address is literally at the bottom of every page on the right in the magazine. And I am more than happy to speak to anyone and talk to anyone. If they have any questions about the magazine, if they have any questions about a story it's it's not the it's not at all that i can't be accessed um i just the facebook thing god bless her because she's fantastic speaking of uh, game collectability and uh those uh groaning swelling shelves full of boxes these gorgeous <laughs> boxes and counters right. and cards uh right. did you bond over gaming or how did you kind of uh how do you both kind of embrace the sport and what are some of your favorite games sports or not well she um she's actually not a big sports fan but she is a, a big gaming fan she loves to play games and so she can understand what a fun game is and what kind of a game kind of just drags on and isn't very fun. Um, uh, She likes games like bowling games that are pretty quick and that you can sort of write down the score because she actually knows how to do a bowling score. So she likes to, keep the score you know when we do bowling and um uh she likes to learn these games because now she's really got to sort of know some people in the field online and she likes them a lot she likes everybody out there that we talk to and so she's interested in oh that game is made by this guy i know this guy (laughs) and that kind of makes her enjoy the game a little bit more um she likes the Cubs, so anytime we play a baseball game, she's always the 1984 Cubs, and so we do have a good time. She's she's always the Jordan Bulls, um, and she's always the 1985 Bears, so we do have a good time with all of our games, that is for sure, but I still, and she understands this, I still do enjoy 
just spending some time alone as well and just spreading everything out on a table and organizing it, making sure it's all in the right place. And, um, you know, it, that actually brings up a pretty good topic as well. I know there are a thousand of them that we could talk about today, but I was talking, uh, in email, I think to Dave Gardner and, um, I was saying, I think I have as much fun playing with the game as I do playing the game. And by that, I mean, I like to, to kind of redo the team sheets. I kind of like to redo the cards. I like to, I really like having everything on one page, if, if at all possible, because the older I get, the more my hands don't like to just constantly shuffle cards. And so I kind of like it all to be on one page if it's feasible to do so. Um, with some games, it's not feasible. With Strat or Appa, you, you just can't do that. But it's, a, it's pretty fun for me to go find the logos and, and to add some color to the team sheets and to do that in conjunction with other hobbyists as well it's it's really a cool thing to to uh play with the games as much as we actually play the games you know so much of the game is the aesthetic right that it right. you know whether it's you know whether you're a fan of the big charts or now as, as everything is kind of going more card driven action fewer big charts although of course mm -hmm. abba folk and our big white boards you know we just we're not gonna <laughs> get those up but uh you know and, and that again i'm glad you touch your, your wife has great taste in teams by the way obviously going back <laughs> yes. to 1984 you know that that again that nostalgia for me it's probably 78 79 but and and i'm glad you mentioned dave gardner because uh, i believe uh his partner ron juckett uh, did a video uh, not too long ago about why we game and that's really you know any interview like this is going to touch on your personal gaming origin story why do we do this and and um and i wondered one of the questions that often comes up is do you really need to be a fan of the sports? Um, you, know, you talked about uh, bringing youth into the game. My contention has kind of been that, uh, you know, I think we maybe neglect uh, skewing to the older side of the spectrum because I see so many folks on, on Facebook, as you mentioned, all the forums that have really taken off in the past 10, 11 years. A lot of folks are getting back into the game and they're maybe out of touch with, you know, the evolution of these games, these better uh, playing games that you mentioned. I'm just, that, that idea that you really need to be a fan of the sport. Is there any way not only to get youth into the game, but people who are not necessarily fans say, um, you know, you had a lockout in baseball and maybe mm -hmm. the uh, sports takes a bit of a, a public relations hit among the fan base. Do you think that the games, the popularity of the games and the intimacy and immersion that you can get personally out of these games, can that, do you, do you think you need that uh, golden era of the sport as well to get people into it? Um, that's a fantastic question, actually. And I think, you know, exposure is a problem in our community because we don't really um, have the dollars to advertise to the general public as much as we would like to. Um, none of the game companies, even Strat, none of the game companies are really advertising on ESPN Sunday night baseball. Um, we're not advertising in the middle of halftime at Monday night football, for example. Um, 
We're not advertising in the NBA playoffs. Uh, we just don't have those kinds of dollars in the field that we would need to sort of build that exposure. But I think one of the things that we can do as people in the hobby is there's a lot of unhappiness with sports right now with real sports. There's a lot of unhappiness. There's a lot of big NFL fans who aren't watching it. There's, um, (laughs) I heard a kid a few months ago say this, no kidding. Uh, he says, He follows three or four NFL blogs. He has NFL radio on all the time. Um, He, I think he subscribes to a football magazine and he buys the books. He hasn't watched a game in four years. Now imagine that. Imagine that, that we have such NFL fans right now that they are digesting NFL content fully and completely, but they are not watching the games. Well, to me, I hear that and I think, well, that's a perfect candidate to be a sports gamer. And if we can sort of turn that lack of satisfaction that some people have with real sports right now into, well, why don't you let me show you this game and remember all those years where you love the sport? You can go back there. You can go back there and be the coach. You can go back there and play those guys you used to love watching. Um, if we could, yes, take guys our age and show them these games for the first time, uh, I think the audience could be three or four times larger at least than what it is now and not necessarily be younger. I do think that the whole idea of using it as a replacement for real sports, which to be honest with you, I've replaced a lot of sports with sports gaming. I don't watch nearly the amount of sports and it's hard for me to sit down and watch a three and a half hour college football game now. And I love college football, but can I watch a four hour baseball game? It's tough. It's hard for me to watch a two hour NBA game. Uh, I would almost, I'll watch half of it and then I'll pull out the games. And I think there are a lot of people who would do the same thing if they were exposed to this. But the question there that I don't have a great answer to is how do we expose them? Well, that is, yeah, the the age old question. You also mentioned, and we've known this, that you know, folks today are inundated with content across the board. And I, I share the sentiment with you that I, it's it was it's always been hard for me to sit through an entire uh, football game, basketball game, auto race, you name it. And folks certainly complain about, you know, these these multi-inning, extra-inning baseball games that go on well into the uh, morning uh, of their Monday right. work week, you know. So it's, it's uh, the game certainly lets you come to it on your own terms and um, getting more folks into that. There are certainly, uh, well, now we're coming out of the pandemic, so we're mm-hmm. getting back into some of the game uh, conventions. Have you ever, uh, speaking of that, attended game conventions? APAS is coming up in June, folks. Yes, um, and there's one in Chicago as well, right? I think there's an APA group meeting in Chicago pretty soon if they haven't met already. I think it's in May. Um, right, Chicago. But I am... I am going to the 
play.con conference in Colorado at the end of July. And I'm really excited about that. I'm really excited to meet everyone who is, is uh, going to be there. I'm going to be part of a panel discussion, which I'm very excited about. And um, that will be my first large game conference. And, you know, I go to quite a few history conferences as well where I speak. And a large history conference can be a few thousand people. I, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's not going to be that large, but um, it's absolutely going to be more interactive, which is going to be fun. And so I'm pretty excited to go. And now that we're sort of out of the pandemic, uh, I'm excited to attend a lot more of these. Uh, I'm in northern Indiana. So things that occur in Wisconsin, Illinois, Indiana, uh, it's more likely that I'll be there. But I am going to go to Colorado at the end of July for that. There's nothing yeah. like your first gaming conference. I can remember my first okay. APA conference 10 years ago. What will you be discussing as part of the panel? Actually, I'm not sure yet. Um, I think we're going to, I don't know if we're going to talk about the state of gaming or if we're going to take questions as well. Um, I'm pretty open to anything. Uh I, it's just going to be exciting to be there. I'm thrilled to have been asked. Um, it was so kind to be asked. And uh, so I think we'll just talk for a while, actually, and uh, take questions as well, which, which I, I would be excited about. Let's uh, switch gears a bit here, if we might, to uh, the squared circle. Uh, this uh, is yeah. your wrestling game. Speaking about great story telling in sports uh, and, and kind of the uh, intimacy and the color of the game. Uh, the squared circle is a wrestling game that incorporates some of the legends, you know, the, from that uh, speak of a golden era. Um, you focus partly on the 86 uh, era of um, 1986 year of, of wrestlers there. And uh, the game is also available on lulu.com. Uh, it centers on a core rule book. Uh, I believe it's 136 pages. Tell me a little bit about your relationship to wrestling and how you decided to make the game into what it is. Well, it's a uh, just a wonderful story, actually. Um, so my all of my high school friends, we were all fans and still are, uh, but we have been fans since childhood. And so... We started playing a dice baseball game that my uncle had actually made up when I was a kid. This is well before I knew anything about Strat or anything like that. And we actually, in junior high, said, well, why don't we make up a wrestling game of some kind? And so this is junior high. This is 1985, 1986. And what we ended up making was the game that we have now. Now, that said, it's gone through decades of changes and alterations and, you know, modernizations and, and all of these things. But it's a game that's been created over the course of about 30, 35 years. And what it is, <laughs> I get asked this all the time. Uh, the two things that people ask me about the game is, is how long does it take and is it hard to learn? Well, is it hard to learn is a hard question for me to answer 
because I've played the game in every iteration since 1985 or so. So for me, it's very easy. Um, uh, is it long? Well, it's not a quick play game, although we do incorporate some quick play rules in there. If you choose to do so, you can end a match in in about two rolls. So there are quick play rules involved. Um, but it's a full play game. I always say it's it's absolutely sort of the strat or appa of the sport. It's and I think the thing that makes it unique is one problem I had with most wrestling games is 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 that the wrestler sheets and their move sets were not accurate. Uh, it was people who made up most of them and then gave them like two or three moves that they're known for, but the rest was completely made up. What we've done and what we continue to do is we actually watch every single thing <laughs> that we have from the era and everything we have access to from the era. And we actually chart every single move of every single match. And these end up being the moves sheets and the move sets. So when you see a lower tier wrestler and he's got 20 moves, those are really the moves that he did. And the percentage of time that he does those moves is the real percentage of time that he did those moves. Um, we put a lot into that and I don't know if anyone else is doing that. In fact, I'm almost sure they're not because of the amount of time that it takes. And yes, as you mentioned before, we started out with Jim Crockett's NWA territory in one year because for the core rule book, I wanted to focus in on what I thought was the best territory in the best year. And that, that Crockett NWA period in 1986, especially uh, Ric Flair, Dusty Rhodes, Magnum TA, Rock and Roll Express, Midnight Express, the Road Warriors, Ron Garvin, Barry Windham, uh, the Four Horsemen. Um, that's the year we focused on for the core rule book. To play, you have to have the core rule book. But what we're doing now is we're releasing territory books, which cover lar larger time periods in one territory. So the second book we released was the WF book, which covers 1985 through 1990, also known as the Hulkamania era. Um, and then the third book we released was Dallas from 1981 to 1988. So you get the Von Erichs, you get Abdullah, you get Brody, uh, you get Adams and Hernandez, you get all of those guys. So we're, we're working on the AWA right now. So it's going to be the AWA from about 75 to about 88. And that should be released within the next month to month and a half. So we're going through every territory and every time period, and we're not going to stop doing this until we've exhausted everything we possibly can. So it is going to be comprehensive, but again, it is statistical as we can make it. That's why it's sort of the strat or APA of the, 
of the games because I think there are a lot of great wrestling games out there. I mean, there really are. The guys who have taken the time to create these games, that they're very good games. But I just, it always bothered me that the movesets for the wrestlers weren't accurate. And I also didn't get a feel for the territory because the rules that they have for the game apply to every time period and every territory. Well, I wanted to create these sort of uh, fluctuating rules that you could change with the territory to reflect what it was actually like to watch that territory at that time period. So we have a few ways that we've incorporated to do just that. And so I've had a lot of guys say, it's really like watching wrestling in that territory in that time period. And it's really accurate. Now, I know the word accurate and realistic doesn't usually go with pro wrestling much. I get that. But when I say accurate and realistic, what it means is it's an accurate, realistic reflection of the territory and the time period. Does it take a little longer to play? Yes. But we've incorporated ways where you can shorten that as much as you want to shorten that. And um, again, it's another thing that I'm so passionate about uh, that I I love when people email me and ask me about the game or when the... Uh, especially after they have the game and say, okay, I have it. I know the rules. I know how this, but how would I make this happen? Or have you ever thought about doing this? Because I love having those mechanics discussions and explaining why things are the way they are and how we got there. And, but no, everyone out there should know that we have created the move sets for every wrestler in each territory. And I mean, we go deep. So we started with a deep roster and we plan on going with a deep roster in every territory. What that means is to qualify, I have to be able to chart a hundred moves. So the wrestler had to have appeared enough to where they do a hundred total moves, not a hundred unique moves, a hundred total moves. So usually that ends up being about 10 matches. So they have to at least have been there through about 10 matches. Now, if someone asks, well, do you have that kind of match? Do you have this kind of match? If a territory has a certain kind of match, we find a way for you to play that match. Um, if we come across a cage match, a this match, a Hell in a Cell, a Royal Rumble, whatever territory has that match first is where you'll see the rules for playing that match. And we make rules for playing every kind of match that we see in the territory. So it is comprehensive. If there's one word that I can use to describe the game, it's comprehensive. So, but I think the good thing about that is, say you have a card with eight matches on it. And say it's a house show, it's not a pay-per-view event. It's a minor house show somewhere. And you're like, well, I don't want to take a couple days and play this whole minor house show you can actually quick play most of the card and then full play the main event if you want like it works like that as well or you can qu quick play every house show every match 
I mean, or you can full play every house show if time's no concern to you. Um, that's fine too. If you just want the realistic essence of the game and you're not trying to hurry through, th- like that's fun as well. Um, and so I would absolutely say it's the most comprehensive wrestling game out there. And again, I say that being a fan of all the other games as well. I love what the other creators have done with their wrestling games. Um, And I wouldn't change a thing about those because the personality that those games have is unique to those games. And so I love those games. Um, I just think ours is absolutely for someone who wants to go deep into a territory and really play what i think is a realistic pro wrestling game that sounds absolutely tremendous and that level of detail that that's really you know speaks to what you can really achieve and ring out of these games and i and the way i think you know madden will release its rankings and not to knock again any games but you know i always personally wonder well how accurate is that uh in apple football you had the v ratings to denote who is better at say pass you know executing or defending against a run or a pass play and certainly as a unit you can kind of replicate that in in a point system or whatever system you're using and for certain players you know you you can view substitutions but to to actually track the you know the maneuvers that all these folks uh, play and and you've really got to have you know they certainly they you know, part of wrestling is so much as the story and the persona. Well, how yes. much, how much, what if ism in, I mean, it seems like you could, could you, you can replay someone's entire match season, I guess, here, or you could actually just, yes. you know, is there that if you play out of different territories or different types of wrestlers, you know, you can actually, um, th- there, there are books available and I have a lot of them that actually are just schedules. Um, for certain territories in certain years, uh, some great authors have gone, or some great researchers have gone back and actually found full cards. And so the territory, uh, the books will will actually give you the cards and all that. Um, uh, they're available on Amazon. So if you wanted to realistically go through and play, now there are some wrestlers who came into territories for one day or for a couple days, or they might've used a few local guys who were never on television that you won't really be able to do. You'll have to sort of replace them with someone else. But, um, but yeah, that's, that's as soon as I found the internet, uh, I found the Usenet boards. And one of the things that I found were um, a community of guys. This would have been, Oh my gosh, what would have been 1994? A community of guys who were trading VHS tapes. And so I had always recorded the television shows in my hometown area in Illinois. Um, But when I found these guys, I was able to trade for videotapes of territories across the world. And I (laughs) traded... Uh, so much and then I've had to convert it all and now it's all on external drives so I'm actually for a lot of it I'm using my own material that I've gathered over the years Um, 
But yes, we absolutely, if we have the material and we have it for most of these territories and we have quite a lot of it, we abs- absolutely do watch every single match and write down every single move. We write down everything that happens in the match with the tag teams, how many times they actually tag. Um, every every single manager, if Bobby Heenan comes in the ring and and slaps a guy, we write that down for Bobby Heenan as a manager. I mean, it all ends up on their sheets. And so in that sense, uh, I, I think it's uh, the most realistic game out there. Um, but again, if you don't like comprehensive games, you can still do the quick play option, which a match is resolved in, I think, two roles. So... Excellent. You know, I'm getting, uh, and you sent some articles, uh, including one you wrote uh, from uh, Sports Sim Magazine, uh, issue three, I believe here. Yes. And uh, you talk about uh, the state of wrestling today versus, uh, uh, at least in the U.S., maybe versus some uh, yeah. uh, internationally or indie. But I'm, I'm just looking at this. This, this strikes me as a case where um, you could actually entice someone with, with a game that's so well-researched and, and devoutly crafted that you could actually get someone like me who's not really as, you know, I know some of the names, Ric Flair, Dusty Rhodes. You can't, right, uh, right, I'm looking right. at the list of 86 wrestlers <laughs> going down to uh, Mike Jackson, Denny Brown, Stony Brook, Mitch Snow, Thunderfoot's one and two, uh, Crusher Khrushchev. You know, this is, this seems like a game that you could actually get people who aren't maybe into wrestling to kind of sit down and try to figure out what a, a hair versus hair match is or an I quit match or mm-hmm. uh, et cetera, et cetera. I'm looking at the list here that you've got. Did you, how long did it take you to test the game? And did you, te- <laughs> did you test with some folks who maybe aren't, uh, you know, wrestling fanatics or aficionados? Um, I mean, we started in 1985, so it, it's been, a pretty constant stream of alterations. Now, you know, we all went to college and we all got married and we all had jobs and we all had kids. So there were periods when we didn't work on it as much, but it's always bonded my high school friends. And so it's always a thing that we still have, have a text chat group right now that every few days one of us will refer to the game <laughs> and it's uh so it's been really 35 years of play testing um and yeah we've played it with other friends that, that really aren't fans uh we all did so in college um even girlfriends and wives over the years have have all sort of sort of had their run at it um but yeah it's it's and I find that it's had a general positive reaction, even from non-fans. And what we're trying to work on with the territories is we're also still, it's so hard to describe the game without playing the game, but the rules are such to where you could homebrew a couple things and not hurt the game. There are some games out there where I feel like when you homebrew too heavily, 
it completely changes the game um, and changes the spirit of the game. This is not one of those. I think that you can homebrew a lot of things in this game and it still works. The core of the game still works. And so what we're doing is with each territory, so that we didn't overwhelm everyone at first, we are adding components, optional components. So when we do the next territory, we're going to add interviews. We're going to add, so you gave a great interview. Here's your interview score. Here's, your, here's how it affects the match. But we didn't want to make a 500-page core rulebook and intimidate anyone. But I think adding things over time that are optional, there won't be anything added that changes the core of the game. Everything will be optional. But as a gamer, I always like more options, especially when you don't have to use them and you can sort of pick and choose what you want to use. Uh, so it's going to be a lot of fun still. And there's a lot to do. I mean, we still have to get into the Nitro era and the Raw era, you, you know, the Attitude era. Um, we still have to do Japan and Mexico and ECW. We still have to do the Calgary, Can Canada Territory. Uh, there's still some in the 80s we have to do. And we obviously have to go well before 1980 as well and do the classics, e even the black and white era. You know, it's all going to be done at some point. Wow, that is tremendous. 35 years, really, of, of kind of constant refinement. Yes. Uh, over the years, I mean, it, it sounds like you've got just about every possible, I'm looking at the uh, thrown out of the ring uh, outcomes here. Um, are there, were there any features that you kind of tested that didn't really make the cut? Um, yes, actually, I we have never been fully happy with, trying to automate the job of someone running the territory um, because it's such a creative process that you could have a chart where you have options and that would work and it would work to the point where you'd be okay with it. But there's no perfect way to do it except to have a human being do it and because storylines change in the moment let's say let's say that you have the world title belt on hulk hogan and let's say at a house show before the pay-per-view something happens and he gets beat for the title well now you have to change the storyline for the pay-per-view if that happens so now how are you going to change the storyline for the the pay-per-view to still make it work. Well, that really takes some human creativity at that point. But to me, that's the fun of the game. Like it is the, how do we create a world unto its own and create a territory unto its own? How do we do turns? How are we going to turn a baby face, a popular guy into a heel, a hated, uh, a hated wrestler. How are we going to take a heel and turn him into a baby face? These are human things. These are things that you want to wait till the right time and the right moment and then do it and then make it happen. And then it will set up your storyline for the next year. 
Well, it's it's very hard to automate that. Now we can automate that, and at some point we probably will f- for those who want it automated. But it is just not as good as as the human factor. It's really not. It's kind of a franchise mode element. I mean, there is some some element of that. It seems like. Oh, it can be. <laughs> it can be, and it's also interchangeable. So let's say you wanted to bring. Let's say down the road, you want to bring Kerry Von Erich into New York into Madison Square Garden to take on Hulk Hogan in the battle of, of, um, of the champions. You can absolutely do that in the game because the PowerPoints, which is the strength of each man, it's how good each man is. The, the PowerPoints are all relative to everyone in the other territories as well. So they match up well. Um, Rick Flair, Hulk Hogan, Luthez, Bruno San Martino, Steve Austin, Rock, they're always going to have the most PowerPoints. Uh, so, and they're going to be higher than most of the smaller territory guys. But so, but you can interchange those. You'll even be able to take when the time comes, you'll even be able to take The Rock back to 1986 if you wanted to do that as well. So it's interchangeable, which I think is a positive aspect as well. Awesome. Awesome. You know, I wonder, you, you, you get so deeply into personal attributes and you, and you talk about the interview, you know, the idea of an interview. And I remember, I think that in the Madden franchise mode, you know, you, you're a young draftee and you can kind of give interviews. I think even in, uh, you mentioned the play conference, uh, I think red, white, and blue racing allows drivers to kind of build that kind of personal brand and and reputation. I wonder, would there ever be a possibility where you could kind of roll to create a a certain type of wrestler from scratch and then have, oh, wow. And then have those, those kind of attributes mature over time as he gained or lost. Yes. Yes, That, and that will be one, uh, one option that we introduce probably two or three territories from now is going to be a way to, to sort of create your own character. Now you could do it now without rolling. If you just want to make one up because you have a wrestler sheet and you have all the moves right there on all the character sheets and you can sort of figure out where he should be in the rankings and the PowerPoints and all that kind of stuff. So you, you could just do it from scratch. But if you w- want to do it to where there's some randomness and a random nature to that, we are going to have a way to do that uh, probably two or three territories from now because we're going to introduce some things already, I think, in, in the next two territories, which will be the AWA and then I think we're going to Tennessee and Alabama and New Orleans and sort of the Bill Watts uh, part of the South. I'm reading uh, page 98 from the November 2021 Sports Sim magazine. Okay. And there's a sidebar on the ref bump, which is in memory of former WWF referee Joey Morella. Tell me the story behind all that. Well, Joey... Morella um, was a referee uh, for years, and he was tragically killed in a car accident. Um, but from all accounts, just a really sweet guy, just a really nice man, and everybody liked him so much. And the ref bump 
is one of the more famous bizarre events in pro wrestling. It is where uh, something will happen and a wrestler will be throwing his opponent into the ropes and he'll accidentally hit the ref and the ref goes down and he's out. And then all kinds of shenanigans can happen after that. Um, His allies will run into the ring. Uh, The bad guys will always cheat while the ref is down. Uh, A multitude of things can happen when the ref is down and out. You might even have a backup in the back of the building at the time, a backup ref. And he comes down to the ring and takes over or... Maybe he comes down to the ring and he sees the bad guys cheating in the match and he calls the match. Or maybe no one sees anything and the ref is just out like a light and shenanigans happen. And then the ref finally wakes back up and the match continues as normal, but after the damage has already been done. And so I thought, well, the ref bump is such an important part of... you know, the storyline of a wrestling match of of a big time wrestling match that we should absolutely take the chance and try to honor Joey Morella here because from all accounts, just a fantastic guy. You know, speaking of the stories of wrestling, uh, Netflix had a great hit with uh, glow, the gorgeous ladies of wrestling. Yes. Uh, I I guess you're familiar with that show. Yes. Yes. I watched, I, I think it was three seasons. Right. Yes. Yeah, I, you know, and I, I've seen some video. I mean, again, this is a case where, you know, something like a, a game as well thought out like this could really maybe amplify some interest that, uh, you know, you've seen, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, the classic wrestling names, Hulk Hogan. I mean, it, it's, you know, wrestling has really permeated the culture in so many yeah. ways. You know, it kind of finds a way to bubble up, even if you're not uh, a wrestling fan. Why do you think that is? Oh, I think it's, you know, it's, it's the storyline aspect. It's the personalities that are sort of larger than life. It's, it's kind of like rock and roll, which is why it goes well with rock and roll so often it, because these aren't regular people and, and the McMahon family especially has always sort of had a, a, a philosophy that a wrestler should not look like an average person. Now, uh, that's been good in some ways and that's been bad in some ways. They have let some really good talent go or be wasted because they were deemed by the McMahons to be too short or too light or too normal, too bland. Uh, They always liked the demonstrative characters, you know, the Hulk Hogan's, the Andre the Giants, the Ultimate Warriors, the Randy Macho Man Savages. Um, That's who they always liked. Where the territories, the smaller territories, really preferred guys who who could wrestle in the ring, um, regardless of how they looked or their height, or they wanted skill. Well, in in the long run, you know the McMahon's won out, and and wrestling has really become. Uh, a personality show. In fact, they don't even use the word anymore. Now it's sports entertainment is what they call it. Uh, so a lot of people have problems with that. 
I have pro- problems with that. Luckily, we have AEW now, which has sort of taken us back to some really good in-ring action. Um, so, and competition in wrestling is always good. Uh, Raw was going through a historically low point uh, until Nitro began. And then the Nitro-Raw Monday Night Wars really brought the sport to peak popularity and so we're really talking about competition being a good thing but i think it permeates the culture because it is sort of sports rock and roll it is big personalities fantastic dialogue at times um and it kind of a a little bit allows us to sort of see ourselves in people that we're not and be like, who doesn't want to be stone cold Steve Austin for one day and to act like that, to go into work and to, to, to talk that way to your boss. I mean, that's why the stone cold character was so popular and did so well and touched so many people was he was the anti hero. Uh, He was able to go in and start a feud with his boss. And who doesn't want to do that? I'm in a steel cage match (laughs) to to be sure. But yeah, I, I think that's why it is. Interesting. Who is ultimately your guy, your number one guy? Oh man. Um, I was always a big fan of the rock and roll express tag team throughout the eighties, throughout the nineties, even, uh, but it's hard for me to put anyone over Rick Flair, to be honest with you, as far as if someone asked me, who's the greatest of all time, man, I think it has to be Flair. I mean, just as far as talent in the ring, talent outside the ring, creating a character, He's fantastic on the, on the microphone. There's never been anyone uh, quite like him. I, I think flair has to be your number one guy, but who have I liked the most? I would say Magnum TA and the rock and roll express. Speaking of characters and we're of the era of Andy Kaufman. Uh, he got himself kicked <laughs> off SNL. Uh, those of us <laughs> yeah. Cause uh, he started his, his wrestling ex escapades and, uh, he ended up, uh, was it a Jerry Lawler, the incident on yeah. the Letterman yeah. show? Yeah. What yeah. Did, do, you, do you think uh, Kaufman kind of helped boost the sport at that time, or was that a bit too much show for the show? Uh, uh, no, I think Kaufman was great for the sport at the time be, because he was all in. Um, as he was, I mean, he believed in the bit, right? He believed in taking everything all the way. And, you know, there's this great story where Jerry Lawler pile drives Andy Kaufman in the ring and supposedly hurts his neck, right? And so they call call in the doctors, supposed doctors from the back to check in on Kaufman in the ring and he's injured. Well, Andy Kaufman won't move. And Lawler's like, hey, uh, you know, the show's over. We got to get him out of the ring. We got to get out of the building. Well, Andy Kaufman won't move. (laughs) And so the ref is sort of a go-between at this time because Lawler can't just go over there and talk to Kaufman because, you know, it's it it would 
break all the rules of the sport. So the ref goes over there and it's like, hey, Andy, man, we got to get out of the ring. And Andy says, I'm not going until you call an ambulance. <laughs> and so he actually made them call a real ambulance to come in and take him out of the ring. And then Andy Kaufman stayed in the hospital for five days. Right. Completely, completely uninjured, completely uninjured, just because he bought into the bit. 100%. Man, I tell you, you know, it's, it's actually, you know, we talk about uh, trash talking and uh, Larry Bird of the year. We're talking about that 80s era for a trash talking and, you know, yeah. the flamboyance of sports uh, folks today. But really, you kind of trace it back to really the wrestlers. I mean, outside of Muhammad Ali, you know, being so far ahead of having to create a persona as, as an essential part of one's career. It's pretty amazing. Well, yeah, I can't tell you how many athletes I have watched hold, you know, hold title belts <laughs> around their arms and around their waist and um, even right. use lines, even use lines that are used by wrestlers. And so you do see the influence, you know, I, I mean, it's larger than life and and it's marketable. I mean, I think that's a I, I think that's an addictive thing. Uh, and you mentioned the word rock star. I mean, there are, everyone is a rock star these days. Uh, but tell me right. a little bit, if you would, about uh, the or the origin of STP Radio. And it's really some deep cuts. Great stuff. Yeah, great. Um, yeah, we've been doing that for about a month. We have the apps already uh, submitted. Um, and we're waiting to just get them approved. So we should have an Android app and, and an iOS or iPhone app out within at least oh gosh a few days to a week or two um hopefully very soon but they are already in um this idea was as a kid i was such a radio fan and i mean a radio fan meaning i really liked to listen to not just the songs but everything that happened in between and the djs fascinated me the personalities I used to imitate them. I used to like how they used to go in and out of a song. Uh, I was a huge countdown fan. I have a collection of old radio shows and countdowns and all of that too. And um, I was the kid who, who always hid the transistor under, under the pillow and had the, had the earphone back at the time you used to have like one earphone you know, remember that? And oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> the one earphone and I would scroll through the AM dial late at night and I was just in another world and everything from, from pastors in the South to Jack Buck and Harry Carey calling games, trying to find the station I could find the furthest away from my little small town in Illinois, which usually was somewhere in Texas. Uh, I, I could get a few AMs overnight from Texas. That's about as far as it got. But uh, the baseball games, I used to love how they used to sign off at night even. Uh, and, you know, it was just, I love radio. And the problem with a lot of radio is, when the companies began to struggle, they decided to, in essence, go on the cheap. And they either sold out to companies like iHeart 
or they started hiring a bunch of high school kids as as DJs who don't necessarily have the same talent that career radio guys have. And so I wanted to figure out a way to take us uh, as I began talking about this evening, take us back to 1984 and earlier when radio was radio, when a DJ, you know, the phrase, this drives me nuts too. The phrase more music, less talk. I always say to myself, I hate that. Like I hate that phrase and they use it to advertise radio. Now it's not that we need less talk. It's that we need valuable talk. And by valuable talk, I mean, what happened to the DJ who knew about the artist, who knew about the song, who knew the story of the song, who knew the story of the album, who would tell you when the next album's going to be out or if a band is on tour, you know, where the tour dates are going to be like, it's not so much that we hate talk. We hate nonsense talk on the radio. We hate talk that doesn't mean anything. It drives me insane too when I hear it because it, it doesn't need to be that way if people on the radio cared at all about their craft. And so what we've done is that we have signed on with some national hosts as well who still do radio. But we're also going to do shows as well. So my wife is going to do a show at some point, and I'm going to do probably three shows because I just have a ton of spare time like that. <laughs> so um, as if I have no other projects, but uh, I'm going to find the time and I'm going to probably do three shows, but our national hosts are really good and really strong and really care about radio uh, being a craft. And so what we're doing is we're playing I won't say that it's only for Generation X, but it is late 1960s or so through the mid 90s. And every random so often will extend that out a little bit for a song or two. But that's 99% of what you hear will be from, from that time period. And so you'll also hear uh, album cuts, live cuts, remixes, and, you know, some songs that weren't necessarily hits, but probably should have been hits from those great albums. Uh, so you're, you're likely to hear Journey do Open Arms, yes. But you're also likely to hear a really good album cut from Journey that should have been a single. So we're going to, um, and you're also likely to hear a new song by them as well, because all of these 80s artists uh, can't get on the radio right now. And if we like Journey, if we like Hall & Oates, if we like uh, these artists from our childhood and from our college years, most of them are still doing music and, and, and they're still doing new albums. So we're actually going to, you know, go through their newer work and pick out maybe the best song on a, on a new album and say, hey, here's a new Hall & Oates song off their new album. Uh, you, you know, you guys should really hear this because 
it reminds us a lot of this and it's really good. And uh, we're going to try to help out the artist in that way as well. So it's really a throwback. It's really a throwback, kind of like sports gaming is a throwback to that point where we used to love sports more than almost anything in life. Well, this radio station is a throwback to when radio was important to us, to when we knew the DJ's names and we knew their schedules. And anytime they would come around the area, you would actually go and see, hey, it's it's this guy from this station. Uh, he's a great DJ. So we're, we're trying to go back to that time period and bring the magic back to radio. Kason, baby, all done. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you know, and I love that. I mean, actually, I may have to speak with you on my guitar channel, Guitar is Dead, because these are, uh, you know, obviously the interlap is, is, is uh, pretty clear that, you know, this, you know, sports is part of everyday life, music part of everyday life. And certainly these, these, this, your station is going to be the backdrop, the perfect backdrop for a lot of replaying here since, oh, yeah. you know, I mean, for folks, you know, who, for who the sixties, for whom the sixties, the seventies, the eighties up to about the mid nineties, where that's kind of that golden age. Yeah. Um, you know, I think there's nothing wrong with kind of going back and saying, you know, let's, let's re-embrace these things that worked so tremendously well and were so important and evocative and inspiring and uplifting and take it forward again, because I, you know, I, I'm totally with you. I, you know, the, the power of these uh, elements, whether it's gaming or, or, you know, terrestrial radio, as mm -hmm. one might say now, you know, they, they, the, their power hasn't been exhausted. So I don't think it's, it's, you know, right. That's, that's fantastic. That's uh, that you're undertaking all this. No. And I think that it's the same thing for sports gaming as well. You know how we, we play these games and we like to imagine the game playing out in our heads. Like we like to see the game. Um, I think with radio, it's the same thing. I think we like radio to take us back to that time period. And the music usually does. You know, the music is so powerful enough to take us back to that place that we need to go back to. However, I think every everything between the music right now isn't doing that at all. And so what we're going to try to do with STP Radio is to sort of take everyone back to a certain time time period between the songs as well so talking about you know re you know the ability of a, a board game to let you get into your you know ima imagine the action and that's you know i was thinking about to uh trying to replay the 1979 nfl season uh, yeah obviously back then you didn't have all the uh, cable and, and streaming channels and you had the right. networks and you know i remember trying to play you know you didn't see say the falcons or the saints uh if you weren't in the right region so you kind of you know you mm -hmm. want to kind of play that action out in your head just you know the cool uniforms and the players you never get to see but then of course digital gaming started to come in whether it was you know as, as the early computers the ti's the coleco stuff commodore 64s uh, before you started getting, you know, Sega and, and Nintendos and you name it, all the different consoles. What, how did you kind of come across or evolve with the earliest days of computer gaming, uh, video gaming? Were you big on arcades and sports games there? Did you kind of somewhat embrace 
the uh, video consoles or did you pretty much stick to gaming board gaming throughout the evolution of what we've got today well i actually um <laughs> i used to go to arcades when when i was very young uh when that was a thing um and play pac-man and galaga and, and stuff like that but um no i never really i've never played tecmo bowl or madden or ea sports or anything like that not once um and a lot of people are, are, are surprised to hear that. Uh, but so, as I said earlier, my uncle had made up a dice game. And it was a very rudimentary dice baseball game where every player was exactly the same. And, and what made someone great or what made someone bad was only your imagination. And, but when you're, you know, eight years old, like sometimes that's enough. But and so that morphed into us making the wrestling game. And then that morphed into us making up games for almost every sport. We we all liked mathematics. And so at some point we understood that sports are math in a lot of ways. And so we could take these dice that we use playing Dungeons and Dragons and turn them into sports dice and so what that's what we basically did we made up games for oh gosh every sport imaginable when we were in junior high um and even some through high school but i can't remember how i think it was a street and smiths magazine and i found an advertisement for hafner games and so we bought the Hafner college basketball game. That was the first one we bought. And we bought a couple seasons. And I think we played the 91 season out fully. Played every team, every conference. Played the entire thing out. And I still to this day, and the Hafner games have never changed. And I still to this day love Hafner games. And love how it looks on screen, even though it's very, I mean, even though it's all text and it's very basic, it's still all right there. The screen doesn't change. Everything that you need is right there. And I really like that about Hafner. And um, so then we sort of played Hafner for years. And then at that point, we really moved over to Strat and played a lot of strat and uh i have this love hate relationship with stratomatic both as a company um and in their mechanics as well uh i have a ton of strat material i'll always have a lot of strat material and i'll always play but sometimes it's a frustrating way to play sports games and um so from there uh, you know eventually we found almost all these other games around the same time around the same year and just really going headlong into everything and just playing everything and buying everything and and then came the you know the ebay splurging <laughs> as it can happen <laughs> and um 
really sort of found everything, but I don't think we played any game longer and more than we, we, we actually played all the Hafner games. Interesting. And it's amazing how a game really just makes that imprint from the street and Smith, you know, that ad, uh, you know, because they they advertised a lot of games back then. And, uh, uh, you know, it's just like, it's, it's, it's amazing. I, I wonder if it's kind of our nature that, uh, you know, you talk about your family loves math. Uh, you, you know, I'm, I'm, I come from, I guess, more of a word family. And so I guess yeah. for some reason, the APA, the, the design aesthetic worked maybe more than the mathy chart. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Cause yeah. you know, that you still like the numbers you get it's a numbers, you know, yes, sports is math. So is music actual, uh, yeah. you know, so you want that statistical, uh, accuracy. How mm-hmm. accurate is accurate for you speaking of statistics? Um, I, I like my dice to do the work and I love rolling dice. So I'm one of those people who I'm not a bit, I'm not a big fast action card fan at all. Um, Cause I, I actually like the action of rolling dice. And so I like the randomizers. I like the cards to be where the bias is at, meaning not bias in a bad way, but bias meaning I like the cards to be structured in a certain way to make one player really good and one player really bad based upon their statistics. From that point on, I like to roll the dice as the great randomizer. And that's why it's a game to some degree. If I, I know there are some people out there who are going to say the opposite. But if I played an entire season and it somehow miraculously worked out exactly like the real sport, down to the statistics, down to the scores, it was a carbon copy of what happened in the real sport, I would be very disappointed. I really would. Because I kind of, if I wanted that, I would just rewatch the games. There would be no reason to play it. I would, because I have a lot of games on external hard drive. That was another hobby that I had right when I, right when I found the internet is I was surprised how many game traders, like actual VHS tapes of games that there were online as well. So I have a lot of games, but um, I kind of want to be able to take a a team uh, like the 2002 A's or even the 2001 A's, and I want to see if I can go all the way. I don't want it to be a carbon copy replay, and we always turn that option off on Strat. Strat's computer games have an option where the game will actually sort of manipulate what happens to make it more realistic. So if George Brett of 1980, who hit 390, if the dice are just not rolling well for George Brett and he's hitting 210 at some point Strat will take over and George bet and George Brett will start hitting extremely well so that he gets up closer to 390. Well, that's an option in Strat's computer games. We always turn that off because we don't want that to happen. We want the results of the dice to be the results of the dice. And however it rolls is however it rolls. And if the structure of the cards are good enough, then 
it'll work out fine. You, you know, the great players will still be great. The bad ones will still be bad. I don't need it to be within two home runs of an actual total. I mean, yeah, you know, there's a limit. I mean, we talk a lot about, uh, you know, every, every football game comes out, you know, Al Wilson, uh, uh, fast drive, uh, right, right. Who wants to replay the 76 bucks. It's like the, you, you can only go so far with the, you know, you might, uh, you know, and, and, uh, Mark Zarb with Apple talks about, uh, talks about, you know, if you, if he'll card a nine and seven football team that went to the Super Bowl, 79 Rams, you know, they're going to play like a nine and seven team or the Giants, you know, it's a page right. kind of a sure. thing. So there's kind of a limit there. Do you, do you, would you advocate uh, any game or have you seen any games that will kind of let you take that complete cellar de- dweller all the way? Oh gosh, the cellar dweller. I'm thinking of what was it? The 2008 lions who oh, didn't yeah. w- win a game. Um, you know, the interesting fact about that lions team is that in the preseason, they went undefeated. <laughs> so um, that's, kind of shows you all you need to know about the preseason. Right. But um, I, uh, I would be a little skeptical about, about the mechanics if that were the case, but here's the problem with that because sports are statistics, especially in the NFL. I, I do think that would be most possible in an NFL game. Don't you? Well, yeah, that's, I mean, well, you go back to the 62 Packers, the only game they lost was uh, to the, uh, the lions. And, uh, but it's incredibly hard to replicate that, which, you know, <laughs> but, right, so there's, right. but there's that, 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 you know, that in the moment, you know, whether it's a hot moment, hot team. Yeah. It seems like, you know, it's at any given Sunday. Well, yeah. And the thing that I think about an NFL game, like college is more of a game of extremes. And I've been doing a lot of alterations to, create college teams and college seasons from games that are majority NFL at this point. And NFL is truly a game of inches and it's truly a few percentage points. College is a game of extremes. So in the NFL, you might have a Tom Brady who is throwing 68%, let's say. So he's completing 68% of his passes. The worst quarterback in in the league is probably completing 62%. Um, That's not a big gap when you're just talking about statistics and you're not talking about intangibles. So an NFL team can win by three points, can win by somewhere between three and 10 points and go undefeated. An 0-16 team can lose every game by somewhere between 3 and 10 points and go 0-16. But really, the way the dice roll can make up for 3 to 10 points in a game, and you could take a team that is 8-8 and and go all the way. You could take a team that was really, you know, 5-11 and and go all the way if the dice you know, go the right way, at least in an NFL game. I don't think you could ever do that in a college game. Um, I think it would also be really hard in a baseball game. Uh, And uh, I don't think you could, 
maybe after NFL, I would say NBA would be the next game where that would be the most possible. Uh, not college basketball either, though, for the same reasons. Yeah, I, re- I asked that because actually one of my my if I ever get around to it, projects will be uh, uh, I'm going to pick a, a team, one team from uh, each uh, season, NFL season in, in the 70s. And, you know, a team that kind of missed the playoffs, you know, by a game, you know, back with the old playoff rules or, you know, an eight and eight team that could have gone, you know, 79 Saints had a firepower, maybe not yeah. the defense and see, you know, right. just kind of, you know, that'd be interesting. Those, those real close what ifs to see if he can get them into those uh, playoffs. Yeah, a- absolutely. And there were a few Falcons teams as well from, from that era who have all time historically great defenses. Oh yeah. And if you can just score enough, it's possible. Steve Barkowski and the grits blitz. And yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's a, it, it's a possible thing. I always find an interesting project is the 83 Packers, right? Oh yeah. So the 83 Packers are eight and eight. They are the typical eight and eight team. Um, they score a lot and they give up a lot, but you're talking about a team that has Lofton, Jefferson, Kaufman, and can flat out throw the ball down the field. So you can take that eight and eight team. And if you can coach well enough and score enough, even if you allow a lot of points, it's always interesting to see what you can do with the 83 Packers. Very, yeah. I mean, they had uh, just looking at the schedule here, they lost, they dropped a four pointer to the Steelers. They uh, blew out the Bucks 55 14, then got blown out by the Lions uh, yep. 38 14. Yep. They edged the Skins by a point, lost to the Vikings by three. So, yeah, a lot, uh, lost to the Lions by three and the Falcons by six. So, yeah, a lot of, and then they closed out with a two point loss to the Bears. So, yeah, a lot of leeway there. Yeah. Yeah. So it is possible in the NFL. I think, I think that's the league where, and that happens now, right? I mean, that happens in real life. I think in real life, the NFL is, is the league where you can go from last to really competitive in one season. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And it's really, I believe I saw an article that said, uh, I think it was five plays ultimately determine a pro contest by and oh large average yeah. Level, so <laughs> yeah and college is not that way so college is much more as i said a game of extremes where the really good is dominating and the really bad is inept speaking of uh replay projects what are some other ones uh on your radar going forward here when you're not putting out the magazine or putting out the radio shows or <laughs> you know refining uh the square yeah. circle i know it's hard to play um it is uh, to be honest with you i'm having a hard time right now finding time to play the games but um i am taking some of the play games at this point and i'm reworking some of the sheets uh, into one pagers and i'm trying to take their football game and i think i've created a structure by which you can play college and it works perfectly um, um 
now I'm just in a process of making teams. And the way I, I like to make the teams is to do some real research on them. I know that surprises you. <laughs> but um, I, I actually probably take a couple days to make one team. And so everyone always says, Hey, are you going to do the whole, you know, the whole year, the whole season? I'm like, uh, no, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm actually going team by team and saying, Oh, I want, you know, I want to make 1991 Miami hurricanes, or I want to make the 1984 Boston college team or, um, so I'm going through that. I've got about eight or nine teams already made, but I created um, a statistic called the LTI, which basically takes college teams and scores them in a bunch of different categories where you can sort of uh, advantage the teams that are larger and the teams that had more talent. Because it's very easy. Let's just say you take a smaller school. Let's say you take a Youngstown State that was the uh, FCS champions. They might statistically overpower a really good large school, a really good Ohio State. Um, So when you just play them head to head, it would be a pretty close game. So there's got to be a way to advantage Ohio State over Youngstown State. So the way I've done it is I created this statistic called the LTI, which in essence gives key player footballs to players on the team. And those that have key players sort of max out their scores. I won't go into it any more than that because for everyone that hasn't played the game yet it's it'll it'll be hard to understand so um but there is a way and i think i've found it to take college football teams and have the great teams be great teams the okay teams be okay teams and the bad teams be bad teams lti what does it stand for it is the it is the legacy team index okay now i have I use it for college football and college basketball and the categories in which they're scored are not the same for both. But um, for example, in college, it'll be how, how many weeks you spent at number one, how many ranked teams you beat. uh, uh, Did you ever beat the number one team? How many first team all Americans, how many second team all Americans, your strength of schedule, your, um, your, points scored per game your points allowed per game uh are you the top offense in the country are you the top defense in the country how does your srs rank um a a multitude of categories which will then give me a final score and from that final score then wherever that falls i can allocate how many key players uh, your team is going to have based upon your final LTI score. Then the key players that you have, if you'd ever played their football game before, um, they have game on the line d- designations. So when the game is on the line at the end of the game, the good players or the great players play really well. 
because it sort of bumps up their scores. Well, the key player designations in college do the same thing. So although a Youngstown state might have great statistics, they will have zero key players because they're an FCS school. So when an FCS school plays an FBS school, uh, they will have zero, but Alabama might have eight and that's the maximum. So Alabama, when the time comes, the great eight are going to play really, really well. So it advantages the teams that should be advantaged. You know, that's, I, I always talk about the color of the game. Uh, you know, I, I, with APA, I try to kind of do something similar, like name an offensive and defensive captain. And, and in that stretch, uh, when it's maybe like a game-winning drive, allow that five-point, you know, those well-known people, you know, maybe create some custom cards that, you know, talk to the personalities, you know, not Tech. just even just the talents, but like a Mike Singletary looking at you, you know, those 85 Bears. I mean, that's that's got to account for some, uh, you know, some fear factor. Maybe it doesn't. And I don't know if you encounter, you know, uh, in terms of your uh, calculating, say, even for the squared circle, if there's, you know, that kind of... Uh, the the personality factors the uh the uh the um motivational factor that yeah yeah there are rules for okay so in the squared circle especially um you will have a line on your character sheet where you will say okay here here's who i have a program with right now here's who who my feud is and then extra things can happen with that opponent or more PowerPoints against that opponent or certain things may happen in the match when you're facing that opponent. Well, in football and basketball, the way I assign the key players will, act, will, will actually be more scientific than that. I start with All-Americans. So if, if Alabama has eight key players i first go to all americans who are the all americans how many are there if there are five i say okay now i have three more that i have to assign so now we go down to all conference and then from all conference i then pick the three who i think are not all americans because they'll also be all conference but three more from all conference and if you get a team that you still have to go farther than that it'll basically be who's got the highest scores on the team or who are the statistical leaders on the team jumping back uh a bit here talking back to the uh the fcs versus fbs and kind of you know kind of uh crunching all those numbers to to kind of create those relative strengths normalization what's your take on you know games uh nfl talking a lot about that obviously you know, you've got uh, these legacy games. You talk Strato. You've got the, uh, you know, the playing season to season. They're kind of they kind of tease that they're you know you, you want to play. You can play this team. You know, the '62 Packers and the, you know, the '77 Cowboys. And you know, maybe they're geared to that. Maybe they're not. I mean, you're kind of creating a season or a group of people. And a, you, know, you know, there is a point in time. And you know, I'm just curious your take on kind of. North normalizing across uh, seasons in any such such a great question again jeff um i was just having that discussion the other day and again i think i'm in the minority here um i don't like normalization i don't i don't want you to change 
any statistics, right? I don't want you to alter any statistics because to me, now you're altering history. So, and I don't love that. I really don't. So let's just say we're playing the current Chiefs against um, Jim Brown's Browns. Uh, the Browns are going to run the ball a little better. The Chiefs are going to pass the ball a lot better. But you know what? The Browns ran the ball well, and the Chiefs passed the ball well. I don't think there's any reason why we need to take the Chiefs' passing attack and water it down, and I don't think there's a reason why we need to take the Browns' running attack and water it down. Um, And a lot of people will say, well, but it's not fair because the field goal kickers back back at that time couldn't kick like they do now. And my answer to that would be, you're exactly right. They couldn't. And so they won't, (laughs) they won't kick well, but that's accurate. Like they didn't kick that well. That's accurate. Statistically, the kickers now are a lot better. So they should be a lot better. Um, But I think there's a desire on our part to want those older teams to be able to compete and win because we have a personal tie to them in some kind of way. But really, I I think you should let the stats be the stats and play it out as is. I am not a normalization fan. You know, and that gets to, you know, and I've had this conversation with a lot of folks, I'm sure you have as well, you know, who could play today's game, Unitas, Butkus, just on the NFL side. I mean, Jordan, Bird, you know, Will Chamberlain. I mean, you know, if you're in you know, NBA, I mean, you name it. Uh, you know, I mean, there are certain fundamental, rudiment, rudimental rudimentary rather uh talents yeah. that you know go with yeah. the game and the sport i mean uh you know if yeah. you took uh you know bart Starr and the 62 packers and gave them the post 78 nfl passing rules you know you'd probably open up their game a bit so you know but, but yeah yeah but the fact re- re- remains that he didn't have the passing rules so he performed like he performed and in a statistic game um he should perform as he performed and right. I hear a lot of discussions about size as well. You know, well, our, our running back now is heavier than a linebacker back then. But these games aren't really size and strength. I mean, it's not a combine. Like, there's no combine game, at least not yet. But these are statistical games. These are performance games. So as long as they perform the way they performed, we're pretty happy with that. And as far as the overtime could somebody play now? I mean, yes, a Johnny Unitas could play right now. Why could Johnny Unitas play right now? Was he smaller? Yes. But if he played right now, he wouldn't be smaller. He would be larger. He would have gone to a major school. He would have had a major strength coach. He would have had a passing coach in eighth grade. Um, he would have, he, he, he would have gone to the Manning camp. I mean, of, but he would have still had that talent. So, yes, he could play now, and he would look like a player who plays now. 
Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, you've gone from the, you know, the virtually semi-pro to the, you know, lifelong, truly, you know, from peewee onward, you know, the complete right. regimen there. Uh, injuries, you know. Yes. Speaking about how things play out and how things were and letting things be. Uh, we had a conference. We had one uh, football tournament up at the Pro Football Hall of Fame and uh, in the uh, championship, um, the 84 Niners are facing the 99 Rams and Kurt Warner went down toward the end of the game. Oh, you know, <laughs> so uh, oh. but uh, part of the. Um, uh, you know, question during the tournament was, do we allow if, if in one of your qualifying games, if an injury happens, do you allow it to carry through? And I wonder if you're in your replays, you know, do you stick strictly to, I guess it's, this ties to player usage. Do you, are you a stickler for this guy did not play in that game? So I'm pulling him in this game or I'm starting the season. This guy's the quarterback. We had a three quarterback carousel. I'm going to mm -hmm. ride this guy or I'm going to play it exactly as it was. I, I don't love injuries. Um, meaning I don't, there are some games that I have played that I just think have too many injuries. I mean, Holy cow. Um, and, and they come up all the time. So I'll usually cap them in an NFL game that I have. I, I usually cap it at two at, after two injuries in the game, even if it's for the game, just an injury for the game, then I, I don't count the remainder of them. Um, if I was doing a tournament or if I was doing a one-time game, just an isolated game, I would probably not use injuries at all. If I was replaying a season, then you, I think, have to use injuries. But I don't use as played lineups. Um, I don't check who played in which game. I mean... If I'm going to use the 99 Rams, I, I mean, I want to play Kurt Warner. I, that's, I mean, who doesn't, right? So right. I play Kurt Warner. And where I don't do that is, is in baseball to some degree. In baseball, you sort of have to regulate the guys who had 10 at-bats and hit 500. You can't give that guy 400 at-bats. I mean, you just there have to be basic guidelines that you're following. It doesn't have to be as played because I never use as played. However, because I kind of like making lineups. I kind of like figuring out the team. I kind of like me being the manager as opposed to not being the manager. Um, but I don't allow a pitcher who pitched 10 innings to go out there and throw 300. I mean, that's... I usually in baseball try to stick with somewhere around 110%, 120% maybe. Um, and that's where I cap it. Uh, speaking of lineups and managers, uh, you know, uh, issue number eight here of SSM, starting on page 10, I won't give it away, but it's uh, making managers matter in history maker baseball from play games. So you talk about uh, some uh, uh, interesting work there. Um, what's your feeling on, uh, another couple of factors that come up often are topics, home field advantage or disadvantage and weather effects. I, I, I like that there are options. Um, in most games, there are options and I will always say the more options, the better. Um, 
Anytime that you give me choices, I like that. In History Maker Baseball, which is a great baseball game, but it's kind of like the anti-strat. It's very statistical. It's very much based on statistics. But it also has a very colorful flow where you can imagine the game step-by-step in your head. It's, it's just a fantastic piece of work. And, um, but what I noticed about it that sparked this article was they are the first game that I know of to really make umpires matter. Like there are actual umpire cards that affect the game. Usually maybe once or twice the, per game maximum, sometimes not at all, but somebody will actually blow a call or somebody will get a call right. And I thought, well, that's great. We're we're making umpires matter. That's really fascinating. That's cool. It's unique. It's inventive. But what about managers? Like, it matters if I have Whitey Herzog or Derek Shelton, right? Like, it matters who I have to some degree. So I made some calculations. I worked out a formula. And what they have in History Maker Baseball are, are manager strategy cards. And you can use so many manager strategy cards per game. And they're for things like, I'm going to the mound. I'm going to steal. I'm going to do this. And they advantage you. Um, And I said, well, so the obvious way to make managers matter would either be to add more manager strategy cards or to take them away. So what I did was I sort of combined the winning percentage of the regular season of their career, of the postseason for that year, and their postseason career. And I sort of combined them all into one And then I kind of figured out what the gaps might be. And so based upon all of those things, you'll either add cards or you'll take cards away based upon the manager. And what I figured out as well was, well, so if you have a bad manager, why wouldn't you fire him game one and hire a great manager? So there had to be a way to work yourself out of a bad manager. So what it does is and it explains this in the article as well for anyone out there who's now royally confused. Um, what it does is if your manager wins three games in a row, if your manager wins five games in a row, you actually go up one notch. So you can actually play yourself out of being a bad manager, or you might be a great manager and lose 12 straight, in which you'll play yourself downward but you can always move up and down as well. So your, 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 your managerial adjustment is really just a starting point. You can't have too many options as long as they're options, as long as they're options and playing your game doesn't feel like a science project. I mean, as long as, as a lot of them are options, um, I like them because you can learn a game and you can learn a core game and you can learn the base of a game And then you can start adding in things, which the wrestling game was sort of constructed like that. I don't think the core game is hard at all. I think, however, we're going to end up having a lot of options, which 
if you choose to ignore all the options, hey, it's your game. Feel free. You don't have to have them. But you're going to have everything in it that you want in it at some point. So, you know, I just want to read for folks here the uh, the table of contents in uh, issue number eight of Sports and Magazine. Again, this is the March 2022 issue available with all the other magazine issues at lulu.com in PDF or uh, hard copy form. Just just listen to the, the range of, uh, we were just talking about uh, ST's article on uh, making managers matter in history maker baseball. Uh, talk about uh, how do you like your racing, a history of racing games by Donald Weed or a pocket pennant run, the history of baseball in one box uh, showdown, Justin Verlander versus Clayton Kershaw in uh, Stratomatic Baseball inside fast action football from down to games. They do a ton of games and they're big on the PDF side as well. Um, trading places and 24 karat gold endings replay of the 75 to 76 NBA by Eric Simon, who of course is great in the horse racing realm. Stratomatic baseball quiz by Kerry Cardinale. Stratomatic baseball answers. Uh, let's see the checkered flag. This is really interesting. Speaking of Roberto Chiavini's game, checkered flag, 1946 to 52. Uh, it's a formula racing game uh, discussion there. Uh, 10 great seasons in Japanese baseball. 2021 Bosselman Pump and Pantry Gus Foner Stakes. Eric Simon explains his off-the-board horse racing sim. Uh, you know, it's just such an amazing array of content. Uh, how you. do you kind of decide how to shape each issue? Do you purposely have, I, I have to have one type of uh, game or, or each of the companies represented, or how do you kind of tend to look at your um, content mix issue to issue? No, I would like to have more variation in companies as well. But again, it goes back to that whole thing of we have to have writers. I mean, we have to have writers who play these games, who can write about them knowledgeably. And um, so as far as the sports, I, tr I try not to overload one issue with one sport. I definitely do take care of that. Um, what we wanted to do from the very beginning, which we've finally gotten around to doing in the last three or four issues, is we all, we have, have always wanted to offer a free game of some kind at the end of each issue. So we've been able to do that. Roberto has, has donated a few of his games, and uh, we did regular season basketball by Marco Walter, in a few issues ago, we gave you all the all the college basketball rules for regular season basketball, and we have given you two to four teams in each issue after that. And so you can either order teams or we keep adding teams in each issue. If we offer a free game, we're probably going to keep on adding teams as well so that you can keep collecting those through the magazine. But I always used to like reading Dragon Magazine <laughs> many years ago, and I used to also like reading Dungeon Magazine. And what I thought was really cool about Dungeon was it gave you an adventure that you could play out on your own at the end of every magazine. And I thought, God, that's so interesting. And so when we started this, I said, wouldn't it be cool if we could give people a free game, at least one, hope, hopefully more than one, a free game, even if it's a very basic game, in each issue. And we've maintained that, and, and I hope we'll, we'll be able to always do that. 
Uh, have you thought uh, each issue is a la carte? You can buy as many or as you want. Uh, have you ever thought, would, will there ever be a subscription available to kind of give people a bundle? Or um, No. Uh, and the reason why is not because I don't want to have them, but um, there are really two reasons. One, most publishing companies offset uh, the price of the magazine by doing a lot of advertising. Um, and it's, it's often a lot of unrelated advertising. I am trying hard not to do that. I am trying hard not, not to go after advertising dollars um, because I don't want to sort of... Oh, this is going to sound really goofy, but I really don't want to sort of ruin the purity of what the magazine is. Um, that makes sense. And I think sales, I think the community, if they can just help us out on sales and just keep buying the magazine, um, it's enough. I mean, it's enough for us to not have to do advertising. And also... Most subscription companies are third-party companies hired by major publishing companies to deal with, because think about subscriptions and what you have to do. So you have to have everyone's start date. You have to have everyone's end date. You have to send out reminders. You, you, you have to somehow market on a tag of some sort on the magazine that you have three issues left or two issues left. And... <laughs> For it being my wife and myself, uh, it, it, it's just not physically possible. That yeah, makes perfect sense. You know, it's a, it's one thing to for <laughs> to say, hey, they should do this or that, and then to, to actually have to be the one doing it. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah, no subscriptions, fun. subscriptions. I mean, and there wouldn't be a reason for us because we really can't cut the price. Mm. So, subscriptions for us would be hard now. You know, the store has a sale every so often, and we try to announce them on the Facebook group. Um, mm. Every so often, they'll offer 15% off or 10% off, and that's out of their cut, so they sure. can do that. Um, and, and so we do try to announce those, but we don't know about them ahead of time. And I want to make that very clear to everybody else, because I've heard some people say, oh, well, I, I just bought one a few days ago. If you would have told me they were going to have a sale and we don't find out about them at all until they're actually up on the site. So we have no prior knowledge about any sales that they're going to have. Right. It's completely beyond, you know, it's, it's not yeah. you're doing, it's they're doing at their whim, right? Correct. Correct. It's kind of like um, a supplier of a product to Walmart is not going to know specifically if walmart is going to put an item that they have of yours on sale like you're not going to find out like because the cut comes out of walmart it doesn't come out of the manufacturer so uh, you know we're kind of because that's the store and we act as kind of the supplier um that's just the way it has to work. And I apologize to everyone that we can't know beforehand. I wish we could. If we could, we would happily tell everyone, but we just can't know. There you go. No, that makes perfect sense. Perfect sense. And so going forward here, uh, thank you so much. Uh, this has been uh, fascinating, <laughs> ST. And, uh, you know, we've <laughs> run the gamut here pretty well. I just want to reiterate that you're going to be at uh, – 
uh, a play event as a panelist in Colorado. Do you have the specific date for that or date? Oh, the end of July. I think the play website, play, P-L-A-A-Y dot com. Um, I think they have all the information for the conference and they will also have it on their Facebook group as well. Any parting words for the gaming community? Yeah, I want to say thank you so much for everyone who's been just unbelievably kind and supportive and all the writers who do such great work. I mean, this magazine would not be what this magazine is um, without the writers, obviously. I mean, I would be writing the whole magazine, which may not be that exciting to everyone, <laughs> but um, it's a thank you so much to the readers, the writers. Thank you so much to the gaming companies who have been open to us. And for those who haven't, uh, you know, there's no reason not to be like, we just, honestly, we just want to help you. We want to help you find new gamers. We want to help you keep the community and the hobby strong. This is for me, this is a labor of love enjoy believe me um i'm never going to go to hawaii on this magazine believe me um yeah, we don't make that much at all and so it is so fun for me though to talk about this and to talk about this with other people and to give the community something for all the years of joy that it it has brought me i mean it's it's an unreal joy. It's an unreal opportunity. I mean, I'm just uh, so, so happy with this magazine and so blessed. And to everyone out there and to you for a great cover story. Um, and we also hope that you'll be back in the magazine as well at some point. But for everyone out there, thank you so much from honestly the bottom of my heart.